Hi there, this is Cindy Tonkin. I'm the Consultants Consultant. I work with data science teams, helping them work even smarter, faster and nicer. If you're brilliant and you want to be even better, this is the podcast for you. Ladies and gentlemen, with me today, I have Vin Vashishta. He is phoning in from Reno. Uh, I am in Sydney in Australia. Uh, we're going to talk about what makes the smarter data people. So, Vin, tell me, tell me something about you. I looked at your LinkedIn profile. You're, um, you're a big uh, name in the data science world. Tell us, tell us about what you do. Um, well, I've been in technology for what's it been now, 24 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, spent the last almost 10. Yeah, wow. It's been a while. Spent last going on 10 years in data science and machine learning, a bit of deep learning over the last couple of years as well. I'm not entirely sure how I got to be a big name. I am often more opinionated than most people like, and most of my wow. opinions are not things mainstream data scientists like. <laughs> so uh, I'm not entirely sure why so many of them like me. Because oh. I've been called an idiot by a lot of different PhDs. I think so that's kind are, of a, uh, a kind of a badge of honor in the data science world, though. To be called an idiot <laughs> means that someone's actually thinking about your stuff, isn't it? It's true. You do have to make a PhD pretty angry for them to acknowledge your existence. <laughs> <laughs> so, Vin, what are your um, what are your habits and routines in terms of working smarter? Are there things that you do to keep yourself um, together and and functioning? There are. It's it's a data scientist. It's a whole. It's like an entire rabbit hole every day that you could decide to go down, mm-hmm. or you can remain focused on not so much the task at hand because a lot of times the task at hand requires rabbit holes. Mm-hmm. But really understanding what the business objective, or in some cases, what the personal objective of the project is, mm-hmm. and that's uh, that one goal, keeping that in mind and being able to understand it in the first place is really how you can work smarter because there are a million different things you can do. Everything from what data sets that you use to your choice in in algorithms to how you design uh, design an architecture. To, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I'm stuttering because it's just so much there is you so can much, do in absolutely. any one of those. Any one of those can lead you down a rabbit hole that takes up not just one day, but one or two weeks and doesn't really lead to anything fruitful. So, yes, you've got to basically make decisions early on about knowing what the outcome is and sticking to the things that are going to get you towards that outcome. Is that kind of the basic concept? Yeah, really keep the, keep the goal in mind because a lot of the activities you can do have a cool factor. It would lead to something interesting, but it wouldn't lead to something productive. It wouldn't lead to something that you can actually use from a business sense. And there's a huge difference between interesting and useful in data uh-huh. science. Uh, almost everything's interesting. Very, 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 very few things are useful. Oh, interesting. So what about your personal routines? How do you keep well? How do you keep uh, smart? How do you keep nice? Um, I start my day at about 5, 5.30 in the morning. Oh. And it, it's wonderful time because the world hasn't woken up yet. Mm-hmm. So I'm not getting emails. My phone's not ringing. I can focus on basically planning out my day. And I'll do that every morning. I keep a pretty detailed log of what I was supposed to do yesterday. It's almost like my own personal scrum. 
mm-hmm. where I, I have my, you know, a single person stand up and I, I look at what I accomplished yesterday, write up a, a good summary of what I did, what I would have liked to have done better. And then uh, write up the deliverables for the day, both personal deliverables as well as work deliverables. Wow. And you I do think it's every important. day. Ho, ho, ho. That's every day. That's, yeah. That's the first thing in the morning because it keeps me focused. I like crossing things off of lists. Mm, yeah, me too. Sometimes I write policies purely to tick them off. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That, that there's a strange satisfaction for me there. And I enjoy crossing things off of a list or adding things that I've done to the list that, you know, I didn't plan on doing that day that I had some spare time to do. Mm-hmm. And it also mm-hmm. helps me understand, you know, and that beginning of the day is really a time for me to focus on not only learning about what I'm going to be doing today, but also learning about what I didn't do right the day before. Mm-hmm. And I'm spending so much time on this piece of it because I really think for a data scientist, this is the most important thing that you can do mm-hmm. is every morning, get up and get to what did I learn from yesterday and what do I want to do today? Mm-hmm. And you will find that the little incremental progress that you make from day to day, whether that's reading and I do a ton of reading, I'll read mm-hmm. I'll uh, ask you in a second kind of in that reading. early morning time. Yeah. And I'll read 30 to 40 articles. I'll go through ArcSiv and, uh, and read basically any relevant papers to machine learning mm-hmm. and deep learning that were published the day before. Uh, you know, I'll, I skip a lot of them because as soon as I read the title or, or read the abstract, I say, eh, not interested or, or not relevant. But I'll read through a lot of different papers and try to at least get the gist of each one of them to understand if there's something in there I might be able to use now or in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, breakfast is a must. Don't skip meals. Mm-hmm. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I'll always keep time for those. And then I start my day. It starts basically at whatever time I can, you know, I can get through that first two pieces. And I'll work for about seven hours. Right. And that's, that's the limit at the end of seven hours, it's time to stop. Right. And you know, that that's as long as you can be functional as a, as a data scientist, there's mm-hmm. people that work 12 hours, 14 hours, and you can just look at the productivity and it precipitously declines yeah. after about the first six or seven hours, it mm-hmm. just falls off. And so I'll typically work about seven hours. I'll take a good long break. Uh, typically three to four hours, relax, do some fun things for myself, you know, check off the personal to do's and then I'll work one more hour. All right. And that's, it, it's amazing how much I get done in that one hour. Mm-hmm. And there's pretty much my day. Then I spend evening time uh, just relaxing, catching up on my favorite shows, uh, mm-hmm. try to get outside a little bit. I've got a gym at home, so I'll get a workout in at some point. Nice. So it's a, that's a quite a structured day. Um, and now there were a couple of lessons. Uh, lessons learned is one of the questions I always ask, and I noticed there was a few within that. You just, you just like, oh, don't skip breakfast and only work seven hours. Are there any other big lessons you've learned in your career, maybe from a, from a, a manager or a leader or, you know, a mentor at some point that stood you in good stead? So lessons learned, I've actually had, uh, I've been fortunate to be a leader and worked with some excellent mentors. And so I've gotten the advice from both sides. I've seen 
you know, countless pieces of advice over the years. And then on the flip side, I've been a leader. So I've actually gotten to look and see what pieces of those pieces of advice are actually good ones Mm -hmm. and which ones stink. And what's, yeah, what's, uh, what's been amazing to me is that most advice that you are given as a data scientist is bad advice. And it's, yes, it is very strange. This is, it's not a typical field. It's not one of those fields that uh, the generic type work advice really works in Mm -hmm. because you need to be creative. I spend a lot of my work day in front of a whiteboard or in front of nothing at all. Mm -hmm. And people will watch my work day sometimes and look at me like, are you actually working? What are you doing? (laughs) And so much of our job is thinking. Yeah. And if you spend two or three hours thinking before you start solving a problem, before you come at something, even though you feel like, oh, I've got the perfect solution, I'm just going to go run that. Think about it. I find a lot of my solutions are best thought over, best simmered for a little while before I actually implement them. And in most cases, I will find a better solution or I will find a way to simplify what I had initially created as some sort of complex model in my head. Mm-hmm. I'm able to simplify it or I'm able to think through different data sources. There's always a different angle that you can come at it from. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the typical engineering, you know, where it's grind code, get your head down, get to know this, get to know that. A lot of that advice is horrible. Some of the best things that you can do as a data scientist are get outside, take a walk and think through Mm. what it is that you're doing or go to lunch, grab some cupcakes, go do something and (laughs) let your mind. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, go do something you enjoy and let your mind think and wander around the solution that you've come up with. And then when you get back, start building and see where it goes, see where it takes you. Never, you know, really never take your eye off of there being a better solution. And I think that's really the best advice that I've ever gotten. The best lesson learned that I've really ever gotten is to spend the time thinking rather than slamming fingers into keyboard or fingers onto whiteboard. There's, there's a lot to be said for a thoughtful implementation rather than a quick implementation. Yeah. Because you ultimately what you want is an algorithm that's going to work and stay. So don't play with a bodgy one when you could have the best one. Yeah. Well, and we also tend to overcomplicate our problems to begin with. Uh-huh. We come at our problems and think, oh, this is, you know, this is going to require this and this is require that. And you start slamming pieces on together. And if you spend an hour, you find yourself simplifying. That's really what a data scientist's mind naturally does, especially mm-hmm. with machine learning, mm-hmm. is we naturally simplify things. And a lot of times, people will get three, four, five days, sometimes weeks, into a solution before they realize that they've overcomplicated their life. Mm-hmm. And they go back and they simplify it. Or, you know, in some cases, they just never go back. They say, oh, well, I'm halfway through this path. Why not? Yeah. If you spend that few hours up front simplifying, it's faster to code, faster to train, faster to implement. Because ultimately there's a, there's been some research, a bit old now, probably 15 years old now about uh, actually in, like insight, you know, fMRI, put you in the fMRI and kind of get people to get tip of tongue solutions and then go, oh, now I know the answer. 
it's kind of like that shower moment, you know, when you're in the shower and you go, oh, now I know. Why did I not start thinking about it that way? And they talk about the need to let go of analyzing it and let go of trying to make sense of it and just letting your your um, brain kind of not think about it. And that brings you to the answer that's so obvious that that is like, why didn't I start this way? Um, so, yeah, I can see that giving it some time to think through the solution is probably a very useful uh, way of being more effective and efficient with um, with the solutions you come up with. Yeah, the other lesson learned is really from what I was going over with my day is look back at yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yesterday has a lesson for you, whether it's big, whether it's small, you can learn something from yesterday. So mm-hmm. spend the time to look at it because the more you can reduce from your life uh, that's stressful because it's a repetitive error, Mm-hmm. Uh, the happier you'll be, the more satisfied you are and the more productive you are. And so there's really the most, the easiest way to forgive yourself for making a mistake yesterday is not to make that same mistake today. Oh, nice. And that, yeah. that is really a great way to just get past uh, a lot of, I guess a lot of the stress of being a data scientist, because we, I don't know, maybe it's me. I shouldn't speak for everyone, but I make a lot of mistakes <laughs> and the reason why I've always gotten better is because I remember them all. And you've learned from them. Yeah. Nice. It's nice. Um, so talk to me about data people, data scientists, what makes a better or a worse one? You've already kind of said some things, but are there other insights you have about what makes a better or worse data person? You know, the, there's the the traditional skills and the, uh, I think those are over-focused on. Mm-hmm. I think what really makes a great data scientist is the ability to learn and assimilate new concepts, complex ones, mathematical concepts, scientific uh, sort of foundational concepts mm-hmm. uh, and concepts in, or in and around machine learning methodologies, and the ability to learn programming languages, the ability to pick up new data structures and databases. And so it's really that ability to learn because mm-hmm. I can teach somebody how to code. I can teach someone, uh, you know, a new database. I can teach, you know, if they need to learn Mongo, they can learn Mongo. If they need to learn uh, MySQL, they can pick up MySQL pretty quickly. These are all easy skills. If someone has a foundation in software engineering and software design, it's very, very easy to teach them uh, sort of the fundamentals. Same thing with mathematics, same thing with science, same thing with with machine learning, if you have that foundational knowledge, everything that comes after it is just how fast can you learn? Mm-hmm. And so being able to learn new concepts is critical. And that's what I want to know. I don't want to know do you, how well you memorize something. Mm-hmm. I want to give you something brand new and see how well and how fast you learn it. You know, how did that new concept stick? Did it, d- is that something that you can use now, now that you've learned it? I also want somebody who's curious and creative. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, there's a whole lot of these coding exams that we do in data science or we'll do these technical interviews. We call them technical interviews. Mm-hmm. And they simply don't find good data scientists because there's, it's hard to assess creativity. It's hard to assess the ability to want to learn sort of that desire and there's a lot better ways. I look at a lot of our interviews and I see them as backwards because what we should really be doing is giving somebody a new concept, learn this, 
use this, you know, to do something, then let's talk about it. And, and you assess creativity, you assess curiosity, you assess the ability to learn and assimilate new information. And it's no longer a, hey, can I trip you up on something? I mean, I've been coding in Java for having a conversation at a conference just a few weeks back mm-hmm. where we were talking about this. And I said, I mean, I've been coding in Java forever. And you can still ask me a question that trips me up. It, you just can't memorize everything. And a lot of interviews and candidate assessments are really this process of trying to trip somebody up and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And we really need to be assessing candidates in a completely different way. And we need to assess our colleagues in a completely different way. What you know today will be meaningless in five years. So why do we care about what you know today? Mm-hmm. Interesting. So when you recruit, do you have particular ways that you, do you actually get people to do what you've just said in terms of here's a new concept, you know, take it on and talk to me about yeah. it? Wow. Yeah, that's one of my best interviewing techniques. And it's one that I've come up with. Uh, just over the last couple of years, I've used a lot of other different interview techniques and tactics. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've tried to refine it over the years. And like I said, over the last couple of years, that's the one that works best. I asked the candidate, you know, about five or six different topics to say, have you ever heard of this? Have you ever heard of this? When I find one they've never heard of, I say, why don't you do this? Go out, study it, learn it. Come back and talk you, to you. You know, do something with it. Yeah, build something with it. And then come back and talk to me about what you've built. And we can go over it from there. And now it's not me asking them questions about something they may or may not know. It's them teaching me something. Interesting. Wow. And that's been successful in finding people you think are the correct people for the job? Well, obviously to my bias, but yes, I think it's great. (laughs) I think it's worked very well. So far there haven't been, it hasn't been any less effect. I mean, because, uh, essentially interview techniques are, have been proven to be reasonably ineffective, but people think they're effective because they're different and they have a good gut feel, but everybody else is, make, is doing it wrong according to the research. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's incredible is that as data scientists, very few of us have read the research. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you would think that was the first thing that you did when I started interviewing. That's what I did. I, and this was back in when I was before I was a data scientist, when I was mm-hmm. interviewing engineers. Mm-hmm. And I actually read the research and I said, OK, so your college degree is meaningless. Your experience is nearly meaningless. You're, <laughs> you know, and you check off all of the things that most interview interviews and interviewers focus on. Mm-hmm. And when you peel away sort of that onion, you get to the bottom and it's nothing that anyone's really doing as far as interviews go outside of companies like Google. Google has some very structured interview processes. Mm -hmm. I think Amazon and Facebook do too. And and there's a few companies around in the corporate world that actually make use of the research, but it's so rare. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. Um, Which of course, as you say, as data scientists, we should be paying attention to that stuff. Yeah, totally. Um, so what about, you've already spoken about your professional development. Do you go to conferences? Do you listen to, um, to what, you know, where, what do you do professional development in more detail than you've already given us? Um, it's really reading the articles, the papers. Uh, from time to time, I'll pick up a, a book about data science. Uh, I relearn programming languages all the time. Mm-hmm. I joke that I've forgotten more programming languages than I know right now. <laughs> it, and it's, it's just the, the reality of a long career. 
And so for me, skills-wise, professional development in a lot of cases is either one, keeping up on what's coming out. Mm-hmm. And I like to look at new approaches. I like to look at, you know, the approach itself may not be a great approach, but in a lot of cases, it triggers thought on my part. And yeah. it makes me think about how I could apply this and maybe a variation of it to something that I'm working on. Mm-hmm. And I think those are important things to do for from a professional development standpoint. Yeah. I do go to conferences, but normally I'm a speaker. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, a lot of the presentations at conference, when they're presenting a paper, it's very interesting. But for the most part, a lot of conferences that aren't doing sort of that hard data science or aren't doing the strategy side of data science and machine learning, mm-hmm. a lot of those conferences, I don't get a lot of out, a lot out of except for those really those two types, the ones that are highly content specific or research specific and the other ones that are highly strategy specific. I think those two are the most interesting. Everything else seems to devolve into a sales pitch at some point. And so, yeah, so that's annoying. Uh, isn't it? Generally so, stay away from yeah. those. Yeah. <laughs> do you do online conferences? Do you go to online conferences? Are there any that you like? Uh, from time to time, I've been a speaker at them, but I'll be honest, most of my speaking engagements now are private engagements for companies. Mm-hmm. And so um, for the most part, I'm off the conference circuit. I'm going to be going to uh, Unleash, which is an HR tech conference here in about uh, about three weeks down mm-hmm. in Las Vegas. Um, and it's, it's sort of tangential to what I do, but it's uh, it's an interesting area of AI research is HR, uh, mm. personnel field, recruiting, that sort of thing. Yeah. And that's something I'm pretty closely involved in. So I go to a lot of, I guess I would call them industry conferences as an attendee to yeah. sort of get the domain knowledge about a place that I may be working in. That's another area I get, uh, you know, some professional development. But when it comes to conferences, just in general, I don't get out to as many as I'd like to. I found I used to go to a lot in my twenties and then it became, as you say, there's a bit of like, this is repetition. I've heard this before. Uh, this is just that book you've taken and wrote, written a topic or paper on it. This is, it's kind of like, there's nothing new under the sun anymore. Um, so yeah, that does depend. Imagine it depends where you are in your career and how much you've already read. Um, whether that you're actually getting anything novel from a conference anyway. That's true. But hearing other people think, you know, powerful thinkers, it doesn't matter what setting it's in, whether it's a podcast or Mm. them writing a book or catching one of their lectures online, powerful thinkers stimulate thought. And, you know, I've never stopped learning from powerful thinkers. And there are even courses that I'll retake, like Andrew Ng's got his course online, Mm -hmm. you know, machine learning. Take that, uh, you know, on a regular basis, I'll go back to that. Mm. And it's because the way that he explains things is so clear Yes, that just going back to it and picking up fundamentals again and making sure my, my fundamentals are still strong. You know, I, I find myself doing that from time to time too, just going back over my education and making sure it's still in there, that I'm not just mm. going through the motions. I still understand the fundamentals behind everything because it's easy to leave them behind. Mm-hmm. It's easy to forget what's happening under the covers, you know, when you're running at 300 miles an hour and chasing bleeding edge stuff, it's easy to forget what's really going on under the covers and how you can take some of the complexity of new approaches and simplify them and and make them effective and also a whole lot easier to implement and maintain. Hmm. 
Wow. Um, so what about, so you, you mentioned that um, you like going back to powerful thinkers because of the way they explain. Is there anything you do when you're trying to explain something complex to a, to a data naive stakeholder, for example, are there any particular habits or, or practices you use to make the complex more simple? Uh, you know, in a lot of cases, I will grab somebody else's explanation ah. and use it. Uh, and I, I do that because along the way, I've found a lot of great explanations kind of scattered out there. You know, I'd love to, I wish I could throw one out. There's nothing off the top of my head, but I have this list of explanations of complex concepts. <laughs> yeah, I probably will tomorrow. I've got a whole folder <laughs> where... You know, I will send somebody a link to something. And, you know, because there are so many people out there who have done this so well that in a lot of cases, I'll say, let me send you a link. Let me send you a video. Let me send you a, an article that I read about this that explains it very, very well. And I think mm -hmm. in a lot of cases, we try to take too much onto ourselves. We try to spend the time explaining something to someone when really we, we've got somebody else who's done it so much better than we could. Mm -hmm. And I believe in a lot of cases of using other people's work and using other people's brilliant, simplified explanations and using those as sort of my crutches. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of times when I'm speaking to senior executives, C-suiters who are, they don't care about the details, mm -hmm. but in a lot of cases they need to understand what's going on under the covers and if they don't, they're missing a significant part of the project, why the project went in one direction or another, why the project isn't possible in some cases, why the project is going to cost as much as it is. You know, there's a whole lot of why underneath. Mm -hmm. And depending upon what level the executive's at, it's useful for them to understand some of the things that are happening under the covers. And what I'll try to do in a lot of cases is just stick to the business need when I'm talking wow. to senior executives, because that's what they understand. That's what connects with them. Mm -hmm. When I'm talking with users, I'll just stick to the thing they care about. Yeah. You know, what is it that you need to work? And I don't talk about machine learning. I don't talk about the algorithms or anything that's, you know, that's complicated or, or ugly and messy underneath. I'll just say, this is what it's going to do. And when they say how, I want to explain to them how it's going to meet their need. Yeah. Less of how does it work and more of how is it going to meet your needs. Right. So you reinterpret their questions based on the filter you believe they're coming from, which is how do I get what I need to have rather than, how did you do this? Which is really the filter that the data science would usually come from. How did you do this? Well, I analyzed this and I took that and I multiplied this and I, where in fact the answer is how, oh, well, you're going to put the, the answer in the box and then you're going to put this question here and push this button and things will work. Yeah. It's, um, you know, and it's interesting that a lot of the time as data scientists and machine learning engineers, we answer the question we hear, not the question that was asked. Ah, interesting. You want to say more about that? Well, we hear all of our questions with the slant of our field, with the slant of what we do. We sort of have this bias. We are listening for questions that sound like what we normally get. Mm -hmm. And those are typically domain-specific questions or, uh, you know, how are, you, how are we going to approach this methodology, so on and so forth. 
But when you're talking to a different audience, talking to an audience outside of the data science team or the machine learning team, it's easy to once again, hear the questions that we want to hear, hear the question as we are rather than as the person who's asking is. Mm-hmm. And it's really important, uh, and I gave a talk about this at Metis a while back, to stop and think about the person, not just the question, but who just asked me that question. Uh, what do they do? Yeah. And in a lot of cases, just that one piece, what does this person do, will help answer the question, will help me answer the question better than any other piece of information I can get. In a lot of cases, they're asking a question, but they really want to know something else. Yeah. There's a there's a question behind the question. Totally. And they, in a lot of cases with data science, most people don't know how to ask us questions. Mm-hmm. And so we almost have to interpret them in some places and say, this is what you asked me, but this is what you're really interested in. Yeah. And we have to rephrase the question and say, is this what you really want to know about? Mm-hmm. And in a lot of cases, that makes the person more comfortable because there's a connection there. You understand where they're coming from. Nice. Excellent. So my final question today is essentially about your favorite charity. Who's your, what's your favorite charity and why? Habitat for Humanity is a charity that builds, they just build houses. Yeah. And, you know, it's an amazing charity. I absolutely love it. And the Food Bank of Northern Nevada is the other one. I like the basics. Give people food, access to shelter. And you can really turn people's lives around mm-hmm. it, the most basic pieces. If they have food security, if they have a stable place to live, they can, they, in a lot of cases can do the rest. Yeah. Most people that have fallen on hard times are completely capable and charities like Habitat for Humanity and the Food Bank of Northern Nevada really just focus on giving people the basics and allowing them to just use their talents. Now, now they don't have, Focus on the difficult, the difficulties of their hardship. They can focus on just living. Yeah, nice. Is there anything you want to say to conclude? No, this has been a great conversation. I love your question. Thank you. Well, look, thank you so much for taking the time, Vin. I know that you you have a busy life. We've just heard about lots of those things. I'd love to do it again in a couple of months when I come up with some more questions and let me know if there's anything I can do to help you. We'll um, talk again. This is Cindy Tonkin. I'm the Consultant's Consultant, and you've been listening to Smarter Data People. This is part of what I do to understand how it is that data scientists can be more effective in the workplace, smarter, faster, and nicer. And if you have a team and you're finding them harder to manage than they could be, if you're constantly trying to squeeze more out of your budget and out of their time, and if you've got stakeholders or they've got stakeholders who are less than happy sometimes, maybe a lot more than sometimes, it can be really annoying and it can make you feel incompetent. I can help you help them get to the important problems faster, target the wasted time and save you time and money, and ultimately delight stakeholders so that you can feel competent again. It's such a good feeling. Talk to me.